Welcome to Kingdom Life Church, Stellenbosch. May this life-giving word activate your faith today. Now this morning, I want to speak about the topic unlimited. How many of you have felt limited in your life before? Come on, all of our hands need to be up because sometimes we feel limited by stuff in our lives. Maybe if somebody comes to you today and they want you to do something you've never done before, most of us will probably immediately say, oh, no, it's not for me, I can't do it. Maybe they say, let's go run the Comrades Marathon. Or maybe let's go climb Mount Everest. Or maybe, why don't you quit your job and start your own business? And there's some, some things that you've never done before, your first reaction will be, ah, oh, no, it's probably not for me. Now, if that's you, guess what? You're not alone. <laughs> All of us feel limited in our lives, but God created us to be limitless. Maybe you, you're here and you say, man, I'd love to do that, but I, I've, I know that I'm not capable or I'm not fit enough or maybe I'm not built for it. I mean, I'd love to climb Mount Everest, but maybe just not for me. But maybe you then you feel, man, I want to do it. I'm gifted for it. I love it. It's my passion. But I don't have to drive to do it because I feel limited. Ever been there? You know I'm, I'm called to do this in my life, but I don't have to drive. Something is keeping me back because I feel limited. There's so much things happening in my life. I feel limited in my capability of it. I feel limited in my resources. I feel limited in my fitness maybe. I, maybe I feel limited because I don't believe in myself. Believing that you can accomplish what God has given you to accomplish. Ever been there? I love the story of a lady called Georgine Johnson. Now, it's a, it's, it's, it's a story. I've read a couple of stories this week that really touched my heart. I want to share it with you. But Georgine Johnson was a 42-year-old secretary and she planned to run just a 10-kilometer that, that weekend, and she, she was an occasional runner. And uh, she went, and she arrived 15 minutes early for the race, and she started, and instead by, of running the 10 kilometers, she mistakenly joined about 4,000 4, runners taking part in the Revco Cleveland Marathon. Rather than quitting, she hung on to finish the 42-kilometer race. <laughs> She said, as stupid as I felt out there running, I'm proud of myself finishing. She said, I guess I was in better shape than I thought. I feel fine, although my knees are real sore this morning. <laughs> the 10-kilometer race was to start at 8.45 the morning and the marathon 15 minutes earlier. Both Rethko Cleveland races used the same starting line. Five kilometers down the road, as the route left, downtown and moved into the residential area, she said, I got that sick feeling that possibly I was in the wrong race. <laughs> Another runner confirmed the suspicion, but Johnson finished the marathon in four hours. Good enough to be 83rd place among the women's division. Her longest run previously was 12 kilometers. <laughs> Have you ever done something that you've never thought you can, but mistakenly you just did it? How amazing is that? But how many of us after five kilometers would say, oh, quit, done, done five kilometers, I, won't, I can't do 42. I'm not, I didn't enter for this, it's not for me. How many of us? Probably most of us. You see, sometimes what we don't know can make us accomplish things much bigger because we limit ourselves by our belief. 
Think about it. You limit yourself by believing what you can or cannot do. A first-year student arrived late for his statistics class at University of California. He saw two problems on a blackboard. Assuming they were homework, he copied them, and a few days later, he turned in his solutions. One Sunday morning, six weeks afterwards, a professor appeared at his door, waving a manuscript. It turned out that the professor had merely written two examples of unsolvable problems on the backboard. The manuscript was his work ready for publication. His name was George Danzig. He was later known as the father of linear programming and a, and a mathematical genius of the 20th century. Just stumbled into the class, saw two problems, do my homework. But if somebody told him, oh, this is unsolvable statistical problems, oh, okay, that's a good example. He didn't know it was unsolvable. He just did it. And God did something in his life that he never thought he could do. He showed him that he's limitless instead of limited. You see, looking at the story, I realized that, that we limit ourselves by the reality the world paints for us. Because the world shows us the reality. See, psychology has proven this. And I love psychology. I'm a, a part-time sports psychologist, mental coach. I've done it for a long time. But psychology has proven that when your brain believes it can do something, that human being who, who belongs to the brain can actually accomplish exactly that. 99% of the time. That's why people can run a marathon only training five kilometers at a time, and suddenly they can run a marathon. Why? Because your body can do whatever your brain tells you you can accomplish. That's the physical realm of how God created us, but what about in the spirit? But when it comes to faith, we, we realize we do the same thing. We limit ourselves. We limit unlimited God by looking at the reality of the world around us. We do. We limit God. Look at Ephesians 1 verse 19. It says the following. It says, You will also know the unlimited greatness of His power as it works with might and strength for who? For us, the believers. Unlimited greatness of His power. Isn't that great? The unlimited greatness of God's power works for us. For you, for me, not for the, the holy. Oh, only for the guy who reads his Bible ten times a day. No, for us, who believes. How many of you know who Helen Keller was? Helen Keller was a very well-known woman. And because it's Women Month, I want to use this. But Helen Keller was deaf and mute from a very young age. Deaf and mute. Think about it. You can't hear, you can't see. Oh, sorry, she was deaf, mute, and blind, isn't it? Yeah, it's all three of them. You can't see, you can't hear, you can't speak. But you know what she did? She wrote 12 books. She traveled 35 countries and lectured to thousands of people. She wrote speeches to people like Mahatma Gandhi. She made waves around the world. And I love one of her quotes, probably... I love quotes in the Bible, but this is probably one of the quotes that I love the most. She says, There's a lot of living to be found within your limitations if you don't wear yourself out fighting them. How many of us fight our limitations daily? And she says, well, Wait, there's so much living within your limitations. You look at it from a worldly perspective, I'm looking at it from a godly perspective. 
But anyway, I've got nothing. I can't do this. I'm going to do this. I don't have this. But God says, don't fight your limitations. Find the living, the life within it. Man, I love that. Saying from a woman who's deaf, mute, blind, who wrote 12 books, who traveled 35 countries, met the queen. It is incredible. See, we face limitations all of our lives when we look at our circumstances and challenges. But we need to remember we serve an unlimited God. An unlimited God. Now, my question for us is today, what will we do with situations in our lives that limit our ability to do great things for God? Because God has called us to do great things for Him. But what limits us? Why haven't we done great things? What limit? I mean, that's a question for us all that we need to ask. Do we feel restricted? Do we feel limited to step out in our daily lives to make an impact? Because that, that's usually what happens. God has called us to touch lives around us. But what keeps us back? What limits us? What restricts you to do it? Because we can have a lot of things, a lot of excuses, a lot of stuff that can keep us away. I remember I was, I was working as a sports psychologist for um, a well-known rugby team. And, and the, the coach wanted me to run my first psychology session. Um, but I, I forgot to tell him I'm only a mental coach. I'm not a sports psychologist. Because I can't be called a sports psychologist. I don't have a degree in psychology. And, and uh, I only have one degree on the other side. And, and he says, well, your session starts in 10 minutes. The team is waiting around um, over the field. I have told, the, told this story before. And I was taking my, literally, my notebook, and I was walking over the field to the clubhouse where the team was waiting in the team room. And I thought, ooh, this is interesting. Lord, I need to do a psychology session that the coach forgot to tell me, and I've got 40 players waiting for me. Um, <laughs> how many of you would run the other way? <laughs> I wanted to. But I was walking there, and I said, Lord, I know that your resources is unlimited in my life. I just want to tap into it this morning. Now, I'm walking over a rugby field. And I said, Lord, can you please? And God dropped an idea into my heart to speak to them about unity by folding paper jets. <laughs> I'm not going to go through the whole thing. But it became such an incredible, pivotal moment in our team in terms of trust and unity that the team is still using it today. It's been used by people that I've discipled all over, Curry Cup. I mean, wherever. And in one moment, God just, I tapped from the unlimited resources of a God where I didn't know anything. And in one moment, God comes and He touches lives around me because I was, I dared to just step out, trust Him for an unlimited resource. So we all know that our natural ability with God's ability forms a supernatural ability that can change the world around us. We all know that. But sometimes life can imprison us because of our circumstances. How many of you have been imprisoned by your circumstances? Many of us. You're imprisoned by your circumstances and the things you face around you, the stuff you have to work through in your life. But today I want to look at a portion of Scripture in the book of Acts that I hope that God can unlock something for us this morning. Now in Acts 5 we read about the apostles that were making waves in a religious community. Now, listen, if I'm talking waves, these guys were messing up every religious idea that, that the Jews had. 
in that day. The Holy Spirit was just poured out. There was a, I mean, that was just a holy chaos. And in the weeks that come, if you go and read Acts 1, 2, 3, actually Acts 2, 3, 4, you get to 5, it is incredible. Actually, Acts 5 starts out with two people who were so, people were so incredibly passionate about God, they sold everything and they divided it among themselves. And then a couple came and they sold their land and they only gave portion, but they said they gave everything and they dropped dead right in front of Peter. I mean, serious, a holy fear came over the people. And then it says that the apostles did mighty miracles. Mighty miracles. They even lined up the sick, the blind, the deaf, the possessed in the streets on mats and beds so that Peter's shadow just passed over them and they got healed. And the scripture says that for me it was incredible. It says that all were healed. Everyone that they prayed for were healed. Remember who, who we read about that? It was only Jesus who did that. Everyone they brought to Jesus were healed. Now the apostles were seeing greater things. Jesus, I mean, listen, think about it. Jesus walked through that street so many times. His shadow crossed so many people. But Peter's shadow just crossed. (laughs) And they got healed. So they were making waves in the Christian community. So I want to read from Acts 5, verse 17 to 32. And we're just going to read everything and then we're going to speak about it. It says, the high priests and his officials who were Sadducees, because they were sad, you see, who were Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. It's important. They were filled with jealousy. Okay. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of jail, and brought them out. Then he told them, go to the temple and give the people the message of life. (laughs) I love that. So at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple, as they were told, and immediately began teaching. When the high priest and the officials arrived, they convened the high, the high council. <laughs> Just listen, I mean, these guys, they get all the most important guys together. Listen, we've caught these guys. <laughs> and he got the council together. Now they're all the, with the hats and the heavy, I mean, they are, now it's just this important stuff. This is high council, high court stuff. They, all the officials arrived, they convened in the high court, the full assembly of the elders of Israel. I mean, this was the most powerful court in Israel. This was the guys who crucified Jesus. Then they sent for the apostles to be brought <laughs> from the jail for trial. But when the temple guards went to the jail, the men were gone. So they returned to the council and reported. <clears throat> I mean, oh, that must have been a tough one. Eh? <clears throat> Sorry, we were here all night in front of the door. The door. I mean, not, we didn't see people go out. So they returned to the council and reported, the jail was securely locked with the guards standing outside, but when we opened the gates, no one was there. When the captain of the temple guard and the leading priest heard this, they were perplexed, wondering where all this would end. Yeah, probably you would go to jail. (laughs) You are in trouble, my friend. Then someone arrived with startling news. The men you put in jail were standing in the temple, teaching the people. (laughs) I mean, that is just ridiculous. The captain went to the temple guards and arrested the apostles, but this time without violence, for they were afraid the people would stone them. Then they brought the apostles before the high council where the high priest confronted them. Now, this is the big kahuna. 
This is the guy who, you don't mess with them. This is the guy with the bigger hat and the broader diamonds and everything. So he said to them, we gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name. He said, this is now Jesus' name. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teachings about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death. Now, they didn't say that. They, that was his analogy he made. Then he says, but Peter and apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. Then God put him in place of honor at his right hand as prince, of, prince and savior. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, who is given by God to, to those who obey him. Isn't that amazing? Now, in the story, we see three people, three groups of people. Three. Firstly, we see the apostles, we all know men of God. We see the Sadducees, because they were sad, you see. They were the experts of the law. And the people, the Jews, the people that were reaching out. Now, the apostles were on fire, man. They were on fire for the gospel. They were on fire because they saw greater things. They saw what God can do. I mean, I think it was, must have been an incredible time of the birth of the church, of seeing God's presence touch people, miracles happen, left, right, and center. You see, after the Holy Spirit was poured out, these guys were passionately preaching the gospel in the city, in the temple. They were building community all around them. They're loving each other. It's incredible stuff that, 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 that they saw and did. Their hearts were focused on, on one thing, and that was on all the people. They were focused on the people that, would, that, that they know that the people needed to hear and receive the truth of the, of the gospel because they were oppressed by the law. They were, I mean, it was, it was an oppression that the law had on them. If you fail, you will be punished. If you fail, you can die. Now the Sadducees, <laughs> because of jealousy, arrested the apostles. Not, not anything else. Because of jealousy, they arrested the disciples or the apostles. Now let me just give you some clarity about the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the Sanhedrin. Have you ever known what the difference is between all those important guys? Let me give you a backdrop quickly. Then you will, uh, some things will open for you this morning. See, there was a huge difference between just the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, both of them, both of these groups of people, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, both of them were the two biggest sects of, in Judaism in that time in Jesus' ministry. They were not the temple or the priest. Or, they were sects. They were a Jewish sect that that forced people and kept them accountable in terms of the word and the law. That's what, they were, they were, not, not, they were religious, but they were almost aggressive in terms of keeping the law. Now, these two sects, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, agree, agreed on certain religious things. But they also disagreed on a lot. They didn't agree on anything. Now, the Sadducees competed for political power. Now, these guys were the wealthiest of the wealthy. 
They were very, very upper class people, the Sadducees. But the, the thing that really hit me is they didn't believe in anything supernatural. Nothing. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in demons. They didn't believe in the supernatural. That's why believing that Jesus were rose, raised from the dead was absolutely taboo for them. So we can't believe that because we don't believe in, in, in supernatural. They only believed in the law and keeping the law and keeping the people accountable to the law. That's all they did. Very aggressive, very powerful politically. The Pharisees on the other side focused on the people. They focused on the people, helping them interpreting the law and the Talmud. Now what they did is they came, the people came to them because they were experts in the religious law, and they helped them to, they actually kept on writing the Talmud. Talmud was the, the law, the rules. And they say, listen, this is Sabbath, so what can't we do on the Sabbath? And then they would come to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees, you're not allowed to do this and this. Oh yes, but this sounds, okay, let's just add that. That's what the Pharisees did. They were keeping strict focus on the law, and that the people kept the people accountable as well. So they were all, both of them, experts in the law. Now, they, on the other hand, believed in the supernatural, the Pharisees. They believed in angels, they believed in demons. That's why Nicodemus could sit with Jesus, and he was hungry because Jesus did miracles that he had a longing for. Now, the Sanhedrin, on the other hand, with the Jewish spiritual high court. Now remember when Moses were in the desert, God said to them, pick 70 elders with the high priest, your nephew, and they will rule the people so that you can, don't work yourself to death. And that's where the Sanhedrin come from, from Moses' time. It's the spiritual high court of the Jew, Jewish religion. Now these Sanhedrin were, were made up out of Sadducees and Pharisees, depending on what sect they felt they wanted to be part of. Now, does it give you a bit of an understanding of where we're at? So the Sadducees, the guys with the political power, that was, they, they just were driving for political power. They didn't care about the people as long as they are obedient. They just wanted political power. So they came and they were jealous. And they imprisoned the apostles. And they called the high court together. To judge them. Now the sad thing about this <laughs> is that the, jeal the Sadducees' jealousy wasn't because the, 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 the apostles were doing miracles. That was not because they were jealous. You know why they were jealous? They were jealous because the apostles were gaining more influence with the people. They didn't care about the miraculous because they didn't believe in it. They felt it was just a hoo-ha. They just wanted more influence because they were jealous and now suddenly all the people ran and nobody came to them anymore. So they were jealous because I want to be more important than you. That's why Jesus said, you brood of vipers. Because you focus more on yourself than anything else. Now the third group of people were the people, the Jews. The people that, that were hungry for more of God. They just want to be right in what they did. Now, as the people started listening to these apostles, I mean, think, think for yourself. These guys are doing miracles. They're, they're forming a community. They're joyful. Wow, how can you be joyful with the law? 
That's amazing. And then as the apostles started preaching, teaching, they said, but this is not the law we know. This is a free, this, there's a freedom that we don't know. We want that. And the more the apostles started speaking and praying and seeing miracles, the more they became hungry for that, which is the truth of the matter. You see, they also hungered for freedom from being oppressed by the law. Now, when do you start getting hungry, a hope starts turning in your heart. They started becoming hopeful that they can experience life. Life. True life. That's why the angel said to, to Peter, said, listen, I love that verse 20. It says, when they were walking out of prison, you remember? It says, go to the temple, go back to the temple and give the people the message of life. He could have said, go back to the temple and give them the true gospel. No, no, he said, give them the message of life, the life that gives them the, 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 the possibility to get free from the oppression of the law. They wanted that life. They were hungry for it. And there was a hope starting to evolve in the group of people called the Jews. Now the, the, the angel came and he basically said, don't you... Apostles, disciples. Now, the Bible doesn't say what happened in that jail. But I, I mean, come on. These guys were so full of God. They were probably singing and praising and praying together and encouraging each other. And no, man, God is amazing. We don't know. Maybe we were sitting there and thinking, okay, now that was a nice run. What do we do now? Now we're in trouble. Jesus was here. And he got crucified. Could be either one. But the angel came to them and said, listen, I want you to stop worrying about the restriction you're in. Stop worrying about the limitations that the world will put in front of you. Don't worry about this distraction, this little moment of distraction. I want you to go back and give the message of life. Go back. Give the people the life that you started giving them. Don't worry about these limitations, this little, ach, this little thing. I believe this is such a profound story for us. Really. This is a profound story for us for today, for now. This is a now moment. See, we are facing so many limitations, so many restrictions in our lives, so many distractions around us at the moment. And we need to do great things for God and what He has given us. God has given each and every one of us something incredible to do and to bring life. To bring life. Not just to speak about it, to bring it. Now my question for us is this morning, it's all depending on the perspective you look from. You're sitting in jail, what is your perspective? Are you looking at the world? Are you looking at God's perspective? And from what perspective do you look at life? You see, What's really struck me about the apostles when they, when they stepped out of that jail with the angel, what did they do? They didn't run away to a different town. I mean, I mean how many people are just like, whew, we're free, let's just, now we need to go. We need to get as far away from Jerusalem as possible. They didn't run away. They didn't go into hiding. They didn't even go and get a meal because we were in jail for a day. I mean, I'm hungry. They didn't even go a meal. They just went straight back to the temple and continued what they were busy with. 
right there where they arrested them. I just, let me just go back here and give life. Because I was giving life and there was a bit of a distraction here. Uh, something tried to limit me in what I've called to do. Let me just go back and do this. Let me just go back and, and do what God has called me to do. You see, so many of us are sitting in an emotional jail cell content with our situation. We're content with the situation we're in at the moment while we serve a God with no limitations. This is just the way life has dealt the cards. That's just the way, Henny. I'm, I mean, I'm just ex- accepting life and circumstances. And No, we can't. See, God created us to break through the barriers of this prison world. Oh, sorry, of this prison the world is holding us in. We are called to break free. We're called to break free, free from limitations, from restrictions, from unbelief of not being able to do it. Now, Abraham called, was called the father of faith. Let's just go there quickly. He was, you remember? He was called the father of faith. Now, Paul came and he makes a statement in Romans that actually explains to us why, did, why was Abraham really called the father of faith? Now, I know there's a lot of stuff. But if you go to Romans 4, verse 20 and 21, it says something incredible. It says, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in, he, and in this, he brought glory to God. I love this. And we, we can't miss this one this morning. He said this, the following. He said, he was fully convinced, fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promised. How many of you have met someone who is fully convinced? I mean, it, it means that you are so convinced that this is a bottle of water that nobody else can tell me anything that I believe. I'm so fully convinced that no matter what people say, do, they can beat me to death, they can run me around, but I believe, I am fully convinced that this is how it is. Abraham was called the father of faith because there was such a conviction in his heart about God's goodness, about his promises in his life, that nothing could change his mind. That he could wait for 99 years before he receives his promise. Oh, probably not 90. He became 99. But it's astonishing for how many years he had to wait and nothing could just change his mind. And then when he got his promise, God says, now go and kill your promise. He said, okay. Bring the wood, son. Walk up. I'm, I'm about to kill my son. Offer him. And God says, now I truly know that you are fully convinced that I am the God who will give you your promises. You see, if we are fully convinced, something of faith starts turning inside of our hearts. Being fully convinced of what God can do through us is our goal as Christians. <laughs> we need to be fully convinced of how good God is for us. We don't have to wait for the testimony. We just need to be fully convinced. See, we can move from no faith to great faith when we are fully convinced of an unlimited power and resources that God has stored up for us. I had a a friend who had a a father-in-law and he worked as a personnel manager at a mine. And he got bored with his job and as he saw that 
they were um, advertising for a new engineer, a chief engineer in the mine. And he thought, man, it must be cool to be an engineer. But I'm not qualified, I'm just a personnel manager. And God said to him, why are you limiting yourself? <laughs> then they just feel honest. It's like, you're either an engineer, you studied for seven, how many, how many years? Five years. You study a long time, and it's not easy. It's not a picnic. And he says, well, I'm just going to apply. And he applied, and he bought some books, and he started reading it, and God started giving him supernatural ways to understand the, the, the way of being an engineer. So he started writing some stuff, and he developed and developed some methods that the mind's still using today, and they're making billions of it. And he became an engineer, and he became chief engineer. And this is a very short version of a long story, and I know there's a lot of questions in between. But this is a guy who stood up and said, listen, Lord, I'm not going to limit myself. If the Lord tells me to be an engineer, then I'm going to walk into that moment, and I'm gonna, not going to be limited, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at an unlimited God who is limitless in His provision for my life, and I'm going to step up and do it. You see, how many of us hold back in that moment? So, oh, I'm, not, I'm not qualified for it. I can't climb Mount Everest. I can't do this because I'm limited. But how many of us says God comes to us and says for us, Lord, I want you to do this. Lord, but I don't know how. I'm sitting in this jail cell. What am I doing here? How can I get out of here? I'm limited. I'm restricted. I'm distracted of what God has really called me to do. See, God promises, God's promises and His calling in our lives is not an automatic, uh, automatically possess. sorry, let me reread this. God's promises and His calling in our lives is not automatically possessed simply because we're Christian. They are received by being convinced in faith. Fully convicted in faith. You can receive God as your, your king and your father, but if you're not fully convinced that He's your God, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. And that's what we need to do. Lord, I need to be fully convinced in faith that who you are in my life. Think about the dreams God has for you. Think about it. God has a specific dream for each and every one of us in our lives. He does. He's got a calling for you in your life. He's got gifts that you possessed in your life that you still haven't used to do, and to see what God can do through your life. Some of us get stuck in that corner of the jail cell where God has called you to be outside, run around, not run around, but do great things for Him. You see, we can't let the world limit us. We can't let the world limit us. We can't let the world limit our mindset and convince us that we are not able. We can't let that. See, let me tell you my last story. When a small elephant is birthed in a, in a jail, oh, not in a jail, in a zoo, it's probably the same thing. When a, when a zoo buys a small little elephant, what they do is they chain his foot to a chain and they hit a peg into the ground. So the small elephant's not strong enough to, to pull the peg out. So this elephant starts to believe that it is not strong enough 
to become free from this. So when the elephant gets big, it's much stronger. I mean, listen, I mean, we know. It's so much stronger than it was when it was younger, so it can pull that peg out with not even a little bit of sweat. But because the elephant's belief was so changed that it can't, it was limited that the elephant will stay put. It wouldn't even try. It's proven. See, because of the reality the world convinced him of, it influenced the elephant's belief, not knowing the truth. How many times are we like that elephant? The world has convinced you of the world's truth. And you're sitting with this rope around your foot. And you know, I can't go anywhere. This is just, I'm stuck to this thing. Where God has called you, just pull that thing out and walk away. Because that's the limitless power that I've given you. Do you know what the weird and the funny thing is? Later on in the elephant's life, the owner of the trainer of the elephant can just come and attach the chain around his foot without putting a peg in the, in, the, in, the, in the ground. And because the chain is around his foot, the element, elephant will stay put. You know why? Because the elephant has given up. And the elephant has stopped believing in his ability. Just stop. Because the world has changed its belief to such a degree that said, you can't do this. And after three weeks, a little elephant stopped, and he just that belief and the truth sets in his heart that says, this is how it's going to be all my life. And so many of us are chained to certain stuff in our lives that we are not able to pull through or to pull away and say, I'm called for more than this. But because fear and so many limitations in our lives, so many restrictions comes around us, it distracts us from God's goodness and from the truth of who you are. Listen to what Galatians 3 says. I'm, I'm ending with this. Verse 11 to 12. Paul says, So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. He says, straight up, no one can be made right by the law. Then he says, For the scripture says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. This is the way of faith, sorry, this way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says it is through obedience, oh sorry, it is through obeying the law that a person has life. Way different. It's through faith. It's all through faith. Somebody needs to come and change the elephant's faith that his belief can change. Hey, listen, I can pull through. I can pull loose. Our faith makes all the difference. We may believe something without faith. Uh, sorry, we may believe something, but without faith, there, is, there will be no acting upon the belief. Now, belief is what we accept to be true, right? But faith is acting on what we believe. You can believe something, but you can still have no faith. Because faith is acting on it. Lord, I believe you have given me all the promises. Now I have faith. I've got faith. No, you don't. Because faith is action. Faith is acting upon it. Acting, stepping out and saying, Lord, now I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to look at people, but I'm going to look at you. You see, Paul says that when God changed your, your belief in him, it activates your faith. And that is the true life that God gives. 
When our faith is activated in our life, it gives true life. It gives true life. It's without faith, it's what? Impossible to please men. No, no, God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. God's hand moves, not because of I'm hungry, I'm emotional, I'm this. No, no, His hand moves because, oh, there's faith. Because that's how God's wired. Lord, I'm sitting in this jail cell. When are you going to get me out of here? I'm sitting here, it's cold, I'm hungry, I'm this, I'm that. And God says, where's your faith? Where's your faith? You're looking at the limitations. You're looking at the perspectives of the world. You're looking at this. I want you to act in faith and look at my perspective that says that you are unlimited. You can do what you put your mind to. If you pray and trust, God can do a miracle. Now maybe you're sitting in, sitting in a proverbial prison cell struggling to see your calling today. Maybe you're sitting and said, Lord, am I doing this? If this is what I'm called to do. Maybe you're sitting in a place where you know, Lord, I don't know how I got here, but I don't know how I'm going to get out of here. Maybe you're being distracted by Sadducees in your life, missing the important things that God has given you. I want to give you the truth this morning that God is always ready to break us out of prison. (laughs) He's always ready. He's ready to break us out of prison, but not just that, to activate our faith to stand up. Sometimes we need our faith to be activated in our lives, to say, I can do this. But I don't see it, I don't smell it, I don't experience it. I mean, there's nothing, but I'm going to do it anyway. When Peter stood on that boat and he saw Jesus, what did he do? Lord, call me and I will come. Jesus said, come. And he climbed out of the boat and he walked on the water. He looked at the waves and the issues and the stuff and he started thinking. Jesus pulled him up. Guess what happened? He walked back to the boat with Jesus. Jesus didn't pull him in the water. Okay, come, just grab the boat. No, he pulled him up and said, you walked here, let's walk back. God has given us so much more. But sometimes we look at the limitations and the restrictions and the distractions in our lives and we deem it powerful and more powerful than the God who actually can do anything. I want to encourage you this morning to not just look at the stuff of the world but look at the power and the truth of a God who loves you. Who loves you. Amen. The scripture says when a son comes to a daddy and says, Daddy, I'm hungry. You don't give him a rock. Said, suck on that. Boil it. Maybe you'll have some soup. No, no. He gives him a bread. A freshly baked one. Daddy, I'm hungry. Can I have a fish? No, no. Here's a spider or a snake. Let's see how you get out of that one. Ha. That's not the God we serve. The God we serve loves us so much that he says, I'm giving you more than you have ever can dream or think. I think all of us, no matter how much truth we know on earth, will be surprised in heaven of the ability and the, the abundance that God has placed for us to have. Amen. Can we pray together this morning? So Lord, we thank you this morning. We thank you that you are a God, a loving Father, Lord, who knows everything we step through, everything we do, everything we face. Lord, every challenge, every 
Lord, everything that seems too big for us, Lord, you are there. You know what we're going through, Father. And sometimes you feel you don't, it feels for us that you don't care, Father, but you're there. Sometimes it feels that you leave us in jail just to teach us something, but it's not true, Father, you care. Thank you, that Jesus, that you've died on the cross. You've paid every, every penalty. You shed your blood. You broke your, you broke your body so that we can be limitless. So we don't have to be chained to a small little peg in the ground limiting us from who you are. Lord, but did you gave us so much more than we could ever think, ever believe, ever, ever see on this earth, Father. Lord, I pray this morning that no matter where we are or what we do or what we face this morning, Father, Lord, I pray that, that you will pull us out of prison this morning. Everything starts with our hearts. We might not see anything around us happening, but Lord, that there will be a shift in our hearts and our spirit this morning. That we will leave the fear and the anxiety and the worry and we will step into a place where we'd say, Lord, you are an unlimited God who can do everything more than we can ever believe or think or see. If you're here this morning and you feel that you feel just, you feel imprisoned. You just feel imprisoned in your, in your emotions, in your job maybe, in your circumstances. You just feel imprisoned. I believe that God wants to free your heart this morning. Peter had, Paul had nothing. He was stoned to death twice, three times. He got up and said, my God is limitless. I can do all things to him. I'm content. Lord, we want to be in that place. No matter the circumstances around us, we want to step up to a place in the promise that you have given us. And we're ready, Father. Come and change our hearts this morning. Change our emotions. And Lord, set us in a place where we can see the truth. We can see more of you, Father. If you're here this morning and you feel like that, why don't you just put your hand on your heart and just have a moment with him. Every eye closed. Why don't you just ask him the desires of your heart this morning just ask him to come and change that desire in your heart that you don't see Holy Spirit come this morning minister to our hearts Lord that we will step out of a different step into a different perspective this morning we won't be a big elephant standing chained to a small little rope. But we will pull out of that situation and be who you called us to be. Father, help us to see the truth this week, even today. The truth of who we are, the truth of our calling, the truth of the promises of God in our lives. If you are here this morning and you trust God for a breakthrough this week, why don't you just put one hand, both hands, whatever hands you want, put it in, just up with me this morning. Just as a token of saying, Lord, I need change in my life. 
Father, you know every hand, every heart here this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray that you come and you shift something in the spirit this morning. That something in our hearts will change. And that we will step up to what you've called us to do, Father. We might be 65, we might be 75, we might be 25. But your calling is still the same. Your promises never change. And Lord, we pray for breakthrough this week. For a new job, if there's a new job needed. For a change of scenery in my current job. For wisdom in the situation that I'm in. Lord, for provision that seems impossible at the moment. Lord, we pray for miracles this week. Lord, we ask you, your word says, where two or more gather, whatever they ask in your name, you will do. And Lord, we are fully convinced that you are a God who will do what we ask. Because you love us. That's the only reason. Not because we say, but because you love us and because we ask. So Father, will you this morning come and take every limitation, every restriction, every distraction in our hearts and shift it. And Lord, I pray for encouragement, the spirit of encouragement to come and touch our hearts this morning. That there will be wisdom in every decision this week. That there will be an enlightenment that comes, a sweet-smelling fragrance wherever we go, Father. That we will not look at the distractions of the world, but we will look at the God who is limitless. Thank you for your goodness, Father. Why don't you just do that now? Just thank Him for His goodness. Thank Him for His goodness of what He is about to do in your life. Amen. 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 Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. For more detail, visit www.klcstalenbosch.co.za.